today on Ag News Daily. From our research standpoint at our product development center, we're looking at new ways to create food without antibiotics. We're looking for that next efficiency enhancer to replace pain. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Ms. Delaney Howell, who, courtesy of our friends at Kent Nutrition, is covering the World Pork Expo. Delaney, bring us up to speed. What are you learning? What are you seeing? What's new at the WPC World Pork Congress? Excuse me. Iowa the WPC. Pork Congress, Mike. Iowa, Iowa Pork, Pork Congress. Congress. Man, I am off my game today, Delaney. My apologies, Pork Congress folks. Yes, I'm at the Iowa Pork Congress today. I've actually sat in a couple of really interesting seminars and chatted with some great people. Gonna chat here just a little bit with Dr. Jim Smith of Kent Nutrition, who we've had on the podcast many times before. It was great though to finally meet him in person because we've always just interacted either over the phone for the podcast or via Twitter. So it's nice to put a name with the face. And um, tomorrow's interview, I'm really excited. I got to sit in during. Andy Curlis's seminar this morning, and he is, of course, the CEO at North Carolina Pork. So his seminar this morning focused just on the drastic changes going on, especially in the pork industry when you look at, you know, nuisance lawsuits, governmental support, and just funding of some of those uh, kind of left-wing organizations. And uh, what was really interesting this morning, Mike, I stepped into a seminar and saw some activists had just walked up to the podium and started spewing their information in front of uh, a pork, majorly uh, pork-centered audience. So that was a little bit of excitement and commotion this morning. It is. And for those of us who, I've never encountered activists that I was aware of at any of my events, and I know we've got a lot of growers who don't get off the farm very much to make it to events, what's it like when an activist is confronting a room of pork producers what were they saying what were their talking points and mm-hmm. how did they end up you know finally getting them off the stage um so they really just kind of hijacked the microphone and so the people on staff here at Iowa pork producers were aware that there were some activist folks in the audience um so they were just you know being cognizant of that and kind of just I don't want to say shepherding them around but you know we're just watching to make sure they didn't start anything and and so basically this guy just walks up to the front of the room and starts talking on the microphone and was talking about how he'd worked in a pork facility before and had literally seen a hog suffering and die right in front of him and that his group I don't remember what group he said he was with um, was working on legal action against that and that animals should be treated fairly and so just you know a bunch of the same stuff that we always hear uh, those activist groups sharing basically you so know, and i've got to imagine in that crowd everybody in that room wants to see animals treated well they want to see animals right. treated with respect because those are the animals that at the end of the day are going to bring more money when they are finally humane yeah processed exactly. and turned into delicious delicious bacon and sausage exactly and, pork chops and all of the other foods we've come to know and love yeah and you know i was re- i've been reading damian mason's food fear book which uh we're gonna have to get him on the podcast here soon and, and interview him about that book but he was he wrote this line that stuck with me and it's you know all these people outside of agriculture think that we're the bad guy but it's like why on earth would we want to take off our customers why would we we're a business why would agriculture want to you know basically end our business so i don't right. know that just stuck exactly. with me 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're in the livestock production business, producing livestock is how you make money, and you only produce livestock if they're alive and healthy when right. they're going for processing. Yeah. You don't make any money producing dead stock. Right, exactly. Oh, boy. Well, interesting, Delaney. That kind of leads right into my first news story. Speaking of the livestock <gasps> industry... One of our competitors, a broad-scale competitor, Memphis Meats. This is the uh, not plant-based meat producer. They are an alternative protein producer, but these are the folks that are trying to grow meat in labs. They just announced they have uh, fi finished another funding round, and they were able to raise $161 million in a round of funding led by Japan SoftBank, Singapore's Wealth Fund, uh, Timasek Holdings, and Northwest Venture Partners. Um, they said this takes their total funding to over $180 million, and it is bringing in uh, new investment, again, from Bill Gates, Richard Branson, who runs the Virgin uh, you know, conglomerate, Virgin Airlines, Virgin Hotels, etc. And uh, meat producer Tyson is back in with Memphis Meats. And um, basically, we don't have a timeline as for when these meats are expected to become available, but Beyond Meat shares have risen fivefold since their May IPO. So in less than a year, prices are up 500%. And uh, they do have partnerships in place with Subway and McDonald's. And uh, then, of course, you know, Impossible Foods has tied up uh, Burger King. And um, basically, they're saying they're going to use this $161 million to build a pilot production facility and launch new products. So apparently, we could be seeing these Memphis meat products out in, well, I suppose, uh, Subway and McDonald's and uh, in grocery stores here before too terribly long. Well, and Tyson was in the, in the news for some other meat-related information this week. We've got the 50th World Economic Forum going on in Switzerland this week, and got some trade news there to share as well. But Tyson was also present at this multi-stakeholder global sus sustainability initiative, and they have announced that they are working to put together basically a global sustainability initiative alongside this event going on in Switzerland to put together a coalition of different representatives and people to discuss really the sustainability of our future as it relates to protein and they've put together what's called the coalition for global protein and this is going to be made up of leaders from the global protein industry along with academia non-governmental organizations and financial institutions so discussing you know the continued problems or uh, sustainability problems that we're seeing with you know walmart's and all of those folks saying we need to raise animal agriculture this way, as well as bringing together some of those folks, like you mentioned there, Mike, with uh, your Impossible Meats or your um, plant-based and cell-cultured meats to bring everybody basically to one table. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, that's... Uh, uh, hmm. uh, it's an odd conglomeration of groups to it try is. and bring together. Is but uh, maybe it will be a good thing. I don't know. We'll we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, either way, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be seeing these type of groups and these type of uh, uh, alternative meat, different types of production come to play increasingly soon. Uh, they're yes. here apparently, or Memphis Meats or at least is is coming soon. Um, so just keep your eyes open. Absolutely. But as I mentioned, there was some other news going on as we are seeing President Trump is in Switzerland this week for that World Economic Forum. And he met with the European Commissioner President Ursula 
von der Leiden, or Leiden, I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name there. Um, and he said that he expects tangible progress towards a deal in 2020. We don't know exactly what that means and whether or not agriculture will be included in that negotiation. But President Trump seems very confident that he can put together what he's calling a, quote, big trade deal. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll see. Yes, we had will. other news coming out of Switzerland. The CEO of Cargill, a man by the name of Dave McLennan, um, doesn't get out in public very often. Cargill is, of course, one of the world's largest privately held companies, which means it does not have to uh, you release guidance and shareholder information like a lot of the major publicly owned companies do. And so that means we don't have to hear, we don't get to hear from Dave McLellan, McLellan very often. Um, but he did speak in Davos, and uh, he said that they are at Cargill. They are cautiously optimistic about last week's U.S.-China trade deal. Um, they said they do remain concerned about U.S. farmers, but this trade deal was a good first step. He said, here's the problem. The fact is the exports haven't resumed. The tariffs are still in place, and so I'm still quite concerned about the American farmer and the American ag economy. He said, "On he continued, I'm going to choose to stay optimistic that there will be a phase two deal and we'll see specifics around what it is that the Chinese are going to buy as part of the commitment to buy. But again, it's still short on details, and until I can see it and understand what it means, we're going to stay cautiously optimistic. So it was kind of a shock, I would say, to the the outside markets. I think most folks in agriculture that trade the commodity markets every day feel very similarly to the way Mr. McLennan does there. We, we want to see China, you know, put their money where their mouth is and step up and place some orders. That's why we haven't seen beans rally like a lot of thought folks maybe thought they would after we signed this deal. But to have a guy like Dave McLennan, McLennan, excuse me, addressing the crowd in Davos, which is not a crowd concerned with the day-to-day movements in the commodity markets, I think it helped spur some more widespread awareness of what exactly is happening in agriculture. So I'd say this was a a, a broadly positive uh, fact that he was able to give this presentation and talk to all of these folks and kind of bring them up to speed on what has happened in the world of agriculture over the past 18 months. Yeah, it seems like there's definitely a lot of good people there in Davos speaking this week and a lot of news that could come out of that event. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll probably continue to keep watching it for a while. I think we will as well, Mike. I just had one other quick piece of news for today is... We look at folks continuing to get their news from the podcast variety and other media sources. We are seeing the National Corn Growers Association join the podcasting herd, and they are launching a new podcast called Wherever John May Roam, hosted by their CEO, John Doggett, and a cast of his friends. So do check that out if you've got any interest in listening to the National Corn Growers podcast. All right, folks, be sure to look that up. We love seeing new podcasts come online and help share information about what's happening in agriculture. I want to take a step beyond agriculture and take a look at what's happening around the world. Delaney, there is some big news coming out of China, and this uh, rattled the market yesterday. Today, we're, you know, everybody's just kind of waiting for more information, but this is the novel coronavirus that has been found in China. This is a previously unknown virus. Uh, they call it flu-like, and right now deaths from this new disease have uh, come to 17. So not a huge number of deaths so far, 
but they have found 540 cases. They believe this virus was caught by somebody um, basically illegally trading wildlife. It's, a, it's an animal virus that was able to make the jump into humans. Um, I note this is important because this is believed to have been started in the city of Wuhan in central China. Why does that matter? Well, because Wuhan, as of today, in an effort to stop the spread of this virus, has effectively stopped everybody from coming and going. And Wuhan is one of the key commercial centers of inland China. If you're going to ship something across China, eventually it's going to go through Wuhan, and now all of those shipments have stopped, or they're having to find expensive and time-consuming ways to reroute them around the city. What is one of those things that is being shipped quite a bit? Protein, particularly pork, as China continues to release uh, stockpiles of it from their frozen or, yeah, from their frozen stockpiles, um, that pork has to get to where it is intended, and now it can't, with, or at least it can't get to a lot of places now that this uh, ban is in place on travel from Wuhan. So we don't know a whole lot about this virus. We don't know exactly what it's going to do. Basically, it causes pneumonia-like symptoms. It affects breathing. It is contagious. Uh, it's airborne, so if you cough, you know, you're, you've got it, and you cough, your neighbor gets it, that kind of a thing, and it is spreading, and scientists are now racing to figure out what is it, how do we cure it, how do we vaccinate for it, and all this sort of stuff, but in the meantime, China's got an issue, and as we wait to see China re-enter the U.S. export market, this is something that is going to command a lot of their government's time and energy. They try to get this under control, and this could be used as, a, as an excuse um, for China to perhaps take a step back from the international grain markets for a little while while they try to sort out what exactly is happening there in Wuhan. Mike, what do you make about it from a pork import perspective for China? Do imports have to go through this area as well? Uh, no. Imports, well, so no. To import stuff, they don't. Wuhan is far enough from the coast that imports coming in and being checked through customs are still going to be okay. The challenge, from my understanding, and if we've got hardcore uh, China folks who know the area better than I, please chime in. Find us on uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily. L let me know if I'm incorrect on any of these. But my understanding is that basically once it gets across the coastal areas, once it gets past uh, you know those cities on the coast, if it wants to go from northern China to southern China or coastal China to inland China, most of those railways and freightways take it through Wuhan, which is a key intermodal shipping area. They'll unload the trucks and put it on a train or vice versa and ship it out to its final destination. So while it won't impact imports directly, it might impact those imports getting to their final destination, which could be a headache as food inflation continues to spike there in China. Yeah, yeah no kidding. All right, well, that's definitely something that we should uh, keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah, I think basically the entire world is going to be keeping an eye on it. And, folks, if you haven't seen the 1990s movie Outbreak, maybe now is the time to see it. Because that's how this movie starts. Somebody's illegally trading a monkey, and the outbreak starts, and then it starts to spread, and then it starts killing people, and it's catastrophic. So I would assume everybody should watch Outbreak in preparation for this uh, coronavirus in China. All right. Well, Mike, as you said, that was uh, maybe the end of your news for today. So should we check a look at the commodity markets? Yes, Delaney, we absolutely should take a look at the markets. And we had a fairly strong morning today. We had prices rebounding from yesterday's losses, particularly in soybeans. But those gains were 
for the most part, erased as the trading came to a close. Uh, we ended mixed uh, to lower in the grain, so let's take a look here. In the corn market, March corn up one and a quarter cents at 388 and three quarters. May contract up three quarters of a penny to close at 394 and a quarter. In soybeans, March down two and a quarter cents at 913 and three quarters. The May also down two and a quarter to finish at 927 and a half. Over in Chicago, we finally a down day in that market after days and days of screaming upwards. March wheat down three and three quarter cents at 577 and three quarters. The May down three and three quarters to close at 577 and a quarter. Looking over to the world of livestock, we've got a lower day in the cattle complex. February live cattle dropped 20 cents at 126.17 half. April down 45 at 126.77.50. In feeder cattle, the March contract dropped a dollar 62 and a half to close at 143.05. April down a dollar 52.50 to finish at 146.02.50. And hogs upwards, but only slightly. February lean hogs up 20 cents on the day at 67.55. April up 70 cents, closing at 74.52 half. Looking over at the dairy market in Class 3 milk today, the January contract climbed a penny to 17.04, with the February up 29 cents on the day to close at 17.83. With that, Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview? Well, Mike, as promised, uh, chatting with Dr. Jim Smith of Kent Nutrition about some of Kent's new animal feed lines. Well, I am live from the Iowa Pork Congress today with Dr. Jim Smith with Kent Nutrition Group. He is a senior swine nutritionist there with Kent. We've had you on the podcast before, Jim. It's great to actually meet you face-to-face. We do a lot of interviews and conversations with folks, and it's nice to put a face with the name. Oh, definitely. There's a lot of people who I follow on Twitter at, that we only see them by their avatar, and it's always nice to see them in person. Absolutely. That it is. Jim, tell me a little bit about, we've had you on the podcast before, but tell me your role as senior swine nutritionist. I know that's not the specific title, but it's quite a mouthful. But tell us a little bit about what you do with Kent. So my job at Kent Feeds is to help our customers and dealers raise pigs more profitably by designing feeding programs and implementing our products and and services to help them raise pigs more profitably. And what are you seeing right now as far as trends go in the animal, specifically swine nutrition industry? Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, prim- primarily from markets. A lot of, a lot of pressure from uh, packers to, for them to buy pigs as profitably as they can, which is putting pressure on our customers um, to, to raise pigs as best they can. But a lot of uncertainty. Um, we're waiting to see what what's going to happen with the with the trade deal and we've been talking about that for quite a while and we're still waiting and are you seeing a big transition of folks preparing to potentially send more pork to china maybe using less antibiotics or ractopamine well as an industry i think paling is out and we had discussions yesterday how we're going to replace it uh, how how we can recover that efficiency that we're going to lose by not having paling but i think uh it's going to be a thing of the past, which is unfortunate because it brought a lot of positives for our industry. I think that's the biggest one. The other one, I think we've we've had a little bit of expansion, and I think we're just kind of in hold right now and waiting to see when when we are going to officially sell pork to China. 
Yeah, we've uh, seen the industry gearing up for this for quite a while now, but as you look at the nutrition side of things, moving away from paline, medicated feeds, what are you seeing from Ken's standpoint of maybe new products you're introducing or, or ways that you're preparing to take on that transformation within the industry? Well, we're from our research standpoint at our product development center, we, we're looking at new ways to raise pigs without antibiotics, and we're looking for that next efficiency enhancer to replace paline. One of the products that we've launched in the last year is, is called NutriVantage Hydra and NutriVantage Hydra Electra. They're water, uh, water products that help reduce the stress and improve nutrient availability for pigs. And what, uh, I assume you do quite a bit of research before you roll these products out into the marketplace. What sort of effects or benefits did you see when you were testing these products on your pigs? Well, we've been researching uh, the NutriVantage product, which is a freshwater reed sedge peat for the last 14 years. And what we've seen in, over those 14 years is that we've improved livability of pigs. We've seen an improvement in uh, nutrient digestibility. And the biggest impact that we've seen is an overall improvement of the livability and reduction in death loss. Nutrient red sea sedge weed? What, what was that product that you mentioned there? Uh, uh, NutriVantage, the main component that sets it apart from other products is it is a freshwater reed sedge peat. So in essence, it's uh, prehistoric rotten reed sedge. It's it's a plant. It's, it's found, um, it's mined like coal and it's just above the coal layer and our, our strain comes from New Mexico. So it's a source of carbon. Um, specifically uh, humic and fulvic acid with a couple other components and by being fresh water it doesn't have some of the contaminants that you might have from a salt water source so that, that's why we think that our product is, is works better than other reed sedge peat. Okay I've got to unpack this a little bit further because this is, is kind of foreign concept to me why did you go with this type of base as for the product? That's a great question. Uh, the the truthful answer is we the, the owner of the product kept pestering us and we finally said well let's at least test it and see what happened and in the first trial we saw a marked reduction or a marked improvement in livability and we thought hey we've got some positives for this so we've we've incorporated uh, the NutriVantage technology in all of our species on the cattle side we see some phenomenal responses in improvement in dry matter intake and when we combine it with other products we get a synergistic effect and to improve uh, hot carcass weight on the pig side it's a we've started to see a consistent response and improvement in livability and improvement in uh, profitability of for our customers Okay, I've got to ask too, when you say livability, what are you referring to? That's a nice way of saying that we have less dead pigs. <laughs> okay, I like it. Don't sugarcoat it for us. I think that's uh, great. So um, as you look at moving this product into the marketplace, tell me about the way you feed this product out. Is it across confinement buildings? Is it? I mean, is it that large scale where folks should be using this product? We use the NutriVantage technology in two ways. One is an in-feed product. Um, all of our starter feeds, our sow feeds, contain it because of the way that it reduces the stress in the pigs. The, the other way that we've seen really good success is our water-soluble product, which is the NutriVantage Hydra and the NutriVantage Hydra Electra. The Hydra is a mixture of the, the NutriVantage technology, which is, comes from the reed sedge peat, mixed with some vitamin C and some vitamin D 
and that is used through a proportional proportioner in nurseries and sows and when we do that we feed that or uh, give that to the pigs for the first seven to days after weaning we also have the ele- the hydra electro which is the nutrivantage technology mixed with the electrolyte for those pig farmers that want to use an electrolyte when they wean pigs we use that for first five to ten days in the pigs uh, in, in both those products, we see the same response and in, in improvement in the way that the pigs are, deal with the stress. And mostly we see that in a reduction in, in death. Um, and it's an investment of five to 10 cents per pig. And when we can reduce uh, death loss by 25 or 50%, that's a pretty nice return on investment. Yeah, and I've talked to a lot of pig farmers here in the last couple of months saying, and a lot of them that get those infant pigs in maybe just post uh, weaning, say water is one of the most important components that they've noticed. Is this NutriVantage product, is it basically helping the pig drink more water or what is it doing to ensure lower death loss? The reduction in death loss is comes from the, the NutriVantage technology in that we're reducing the stress response in a pig. Specifically, our research shows that when we feed or uh, through either the feed or the water, the NutriVantage technology, we reduce cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone. So if we reduce the cortisol, then we reduce all the cascades of the negative impacts that that has on the piglet. So when we, we when we wean a pig, that's probably the most stressful day in that pig's life. So if we can reduce the, the way that the body reacts to the stress, then that pig can take the nutrients and use those for growth and survivability instead of trying to stay alive. Do you notice any difference as well based on the season or time of year that you're weaning those pigs? We seem to have a better response when we uh, have more stress in a pig and anytime we have additional stress I'm thinking that do we have some heat stress in the summertime Um, but anytime Anytime you wean a pig, it's just going to be stressful. So we're recommending using this year-round just because you don't know what kind of stresses they have. You know, in the wintertime, we might have a stress from a PED or a a PERS outbreak that might have some residual effect on the pigs, too. And obviously, as you mentioned earlier, the industry as a whole is moving away from medicated feed, not just in niche markets, but it seems in mainstream parts of the swine industry as well. Do you see the NutriVantage line being for the entire swine industry or focused more in the niche markets? Oh, this is definitely something for the entire industry. Um, as we are using less antibiotics and we're using those antibiotics more strategically, if we can use products like NutriVantage Hydra to reduce the stress, then we allow that pig's natural immune system to combat disease better. So if we can reduce the stress, it doesn't matter what part of the industry or whether it's niche or, or you've got a quad barn, I think this is, has benefit. And do you see this type of a product using something, I, I'm going to call it a natural base with the, with the sedge. Do you see that type of product sticking around in the industry or just a short-term fad here? Oh, these, type, these types of products are, are here to stay. Um, we're going to have continued pressure from both the regulatory and a consumer standpoint to reduce antibiotics. Um, we can debate the, the uh, truthfulness behind that and the facts, but the, the fact is that facts don't matter in this case, and we're going to have to uh, adapt to these type of natural, non-antibiotic solutions. 
Yeah, I was uh, reading a book the other day talking about the consumer base, and it's like they don't care about the science behind things, and, and most of the time they don't understand the science behind it. We just have to do what they think is correct, unfortunately. Oh, that's right. Um, I think the, the statement is my emotions don't care about your facts, so we just need to adapt. Well, Jim, before I let you go, let us know how can folks find the NutriVantage line? Is it out for commercial availability? The NutriVantage line is commercially available. We have uh, NutriVantage for swine, beef, um, poultry, and sheep on, on the feed side. Um, and then the NutriVantage Hydra and Hydra Electro are available for purchase from uh, Kent dealers or directly from Kent. You can find that at kentww.com. Or if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at jimsmith87, and we can contact that way. Awesome. Jim, thank you so much for joining today. No, thank you very much, Delaney. Well, again, a big thank you there to Jim. It's really fun to get to chat with folks here at the Iowa Pork Congress. Folks, do stay tuned with us on social media, though. We've been posting some things from Iowa Pork Congress at Ag News Daily, so check that out. You can also check out any of our past episodes if maybe you need to get caught up. Find us at agnewsdaily.com. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Well, let's let them go.